Hey everyone, and welcome to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host and race director, Jeff Stoner. Thank you for listening in and joining me on another trail journey today. I am so, so excited for this conversation. Uh, I got into podcasting for a chance to hear runner stories and experiences. So listening to, to her journey was a true inspiration. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear her story. My next guest is one of the best ultra runners in the world. She is the winner of the 2021 Badwater 135 Ultra Race, which by the way, is the world's toughest foot race. She's also a mom, business owner, speaker, podcaster, coach, and just fuck all around badass. Welcome to the trail life, Sally McRae. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. Well, I don't want to fight. What an introduction. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. I'm very stoked to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you coming on. And and I, I mean every word of it. I mean, it's uh, you, I've been kind of following along with your career for the last few years here now. And, and I tell some of my, uh, trail friends, like I got a top five of people that I would love to talk to on this podcast. And you have always been in my top five of people to, Aww. to chat with. So I, I appreciate, wow. and as, as I said, before we started the podcast, I appreciate you taking the time and, and saying hello to me at, at the TRE in, in last November and for jumping on the podcast to share your story today. So thank you very much. Oh man. Th- thank you. I, I always seen it as, as a, as a gift and a, a really blessed opportunity to be able to share on any podcast. So, um, thanks for choosing me. And again, thanks for the very kind introduction. <laughs> no worries. It, it's all downhill from here, by the way, after, after, after the intro, it just gets even worse. So, uh, <laughs> so that's why I do such a good intro is because you know, who knows, it, it tends to go downhill. Um, no, I, so there, there's definitely a lot that I, I want to cover on, on the episode mm-hmm. today. You know, we, I want to hear about your, your, your trail journey and how you got started into it, but you You've also, uh, you started your own podcast. You've got a new strength app that you're at, mm-hmm. that's been out for the last four or five months. So I want to talk about that. I want to talk about some of your other coaching because I think it's really cool that you're ultra runner, but you're also a strength coach, mm-hmm. which doesn't, doesn't necessarily go hand in hand a lot of the times. Uh-uh. And, and you, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Clydesdale division. I'm six, four, two thirty. So I, I get the strength aspect of, of the trail running, um, situation, but there's not a lot of people that do. So mm-hmm. it's kind of refreshing to know that you've got both uh, sides of it covered, which is awesome. So, uh, well, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Strength training has been a big part of my training since I was about 16 years old and, um, being able to, you know, build up my body for so long and just kind of see the value of it at, at a young age. Like I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful that I, I found it early on in, in my life. And as I transition, um, into running, uh, that's where I also learned that, uh, you know, strength training wasn't always welcome or even understood. And, um, you know, I had a few years where I felt, you know, out of place and, and questioned it myself. But then, uh, you know, I learned, you know what, this is uh, something I'm passionate about that I love. I see the benefit of it. And I've been pretty muscular for most of my life. And I'm like, I don't want to change that. I like being strong. And, and I believe that, um, there is more and more people are starting to get on board with it. I mean, you're starting to see all the trail running magazines and, oh, yeah. uh, road running magazines and all the coaches like, Oh uh, yeah. So strength training, let's, uh, <laughs> let's start doing that guys. I'm starting to see that there is something to be said. So, yeah. um, <laughs> yeah, well, there, that, there's, there's <laughs> always been a huge misconception, right. With yes. strength training training and the female athlete. And oh, absolutely. so that's why I said it's really refreshing to see that there is someone like yourself that's out there promoting it and mm-hmm. and trying to preach it to other other runners like hey listen this is part of the game this is something that you should be doing to help better your your trail running experience. Mm-hmm. So Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, one one of the things that I feel is really important, um, especially as, you know, just, just an athlete in general in the runners, uh, community. And you've probably seen this as being, being a race director, 
you know, you, you really take notice of these, you know, the, the long run, uh, groups that go out and train on the weekend, you know, and that's for a lot of people, that's their social time. Um, or there's like the Monday night run club or something like that. But Mm -hmm. what we see more and more is that, you know, whether you're a cyclist or, you know, triathlete or endurance runner, people really, uh, they really weave themselves into their community and oh, yeah. they find purpose and meaning and friendship, their social life in the sport that they do. And as a coach myself, I've seen that when an athlete gets injured or they can't do that thing, it affects them on so many levels, not just the physical level, but the social and mental level oh, yeah. to a, a, a really negative degree where they're just like, man, I'm depressed. I'm down. I'm not getting that social time in. So one of the things that I really love about strength training and why I think it should also be a part of every athlete's life is because it also allows you not only to keep an injury at bay, you're less likely likely to get injury, um, but also it, it still gives you something to do. I mean, it, I've looked back on in my life where I've seen the times where I was injured, where I was still able to get into the gym. I was still able to get, get the strength workouts in and move my body and feel that strength, even if I had a bum leg, you know? So if we wrap our, our, you know, our, our lives around just one thing, just running, um, you know, it can kind of be a dangerous thing when it's taken away from you because of injury or you're just not able to do it anymore. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's mm-hmm. kind of the way I've always looked at it. An injury is always going to happen, right? Yes. Regardless of yeah. how well prepared you are, it's always going to happen. So it's mm-hmm. better if you've got that, you've started doing some other type of training to help out with that and go, and it goes simultaneously with that. So, mm-hmm. um, again, I, I, I could sit here and talk strength training all day with you. That's <laughs> <laughs> the same, same. So let's, so let's, uh, again, like I said, I got a lot, lots to cover and I want to kind of start with, uh, your youth and, and growing up because from conversations that I've heard you, you've had in the past, like you were, you've always been an athlete and mm-hmm. you were always kind of geared towards more of the soccer and gymnastics and mm-hmm. running is running is obviously a kind of an offshoot of almost every single sport that's out there. Um, When did, when, when did the running aspect actually become more of the integral part of your life? Um, And when did you know that you were actually good at it? Well, I think, I I feel like there was like three phases. So when I was like seven, eight, I used to do a bunch of cross country meets um, in the area when I was a little girl, I naturally always loved to run. I I really can't remember a point in my life. um, Even, even in kindergarten, I loved running and I was really fast. I was known for being fast all through pretty much my entire school years, uh, elementary, middle school and, and high school. I was, I, I had a lot of speed and I loved that about myself and I really owned that. Um, so anytime it was a part, you know, when I was a gymnast and soccer player and anytime we had to do any type of conditioning that involved running, I really gravitated toward that. I excelled at it and I always wanted to do more of it. And then when I graduated from college, Um, and I was no longer playing soccer, running was just a way to keep a goal in mind for me. And I went to China to teach English. And uh, I didn't realize until I got there that I was having to work six days a week, um, like 12, 14 hours a day. And so I was like, oh my gosh, dude, this is gnarly. teacher, that's crushing (laughs) right there. It was was crushing. It was like this board school, boarding school. Like I said, I didn't know much about it until I got there. So probably should have done my research. But so because (laughs) of that, because of that, I decided to get up early in the morning because I really, I I love culture. I loved traveling. I still do. Um, I wanted to see where I was staying. And I was in this, this city called Tianjin, um, China. And I would get up at five in the morning and I'd run before school, just purely as a way to explore. And after I got back from that trip, I had had all this endurance built up and I thought, you know what, I'm going to train for a marathon. And that was just kind of the way that I always went about, um, physical activity and goals. It's like, I always like having a goal and, and not being on a team for the first year of my life. I was like, I need something to work toward. Yeah. So that's how marathoning and endurance running really developed. But running has always been something that I've loved. You know, I was a sprinter in high school. I did a little bit of cross country in middle school. I'd always kind of gravitated toward it. But then, you know, those as I started endurance running on the road, 
I've, I mean, I've only done a handful of marathons, but I never trained for one in a way where I thought, oh, I'm going to compete in this. I do one or two a year. And then I have my daughter. Um, and then I ran another marathon, like when, when she was six months old. And then I opened up my own fitness business and started training women. So it was just a part of my life. Well, during that time when I was owning my fitness business and um, just running to stay in shape and lifting weights, I read about ultra marathons and I read about these hundred mile races. And I just was fascinated with the fact that people could actually run that far at one time. And, um, my curiosity is really what drew me to it. I, mm -hmm. I love the human body. I've always loved studying the human body. And so I just decided to sign up for one. Just on a whim. Hey, yeah, miles. Just on a here whim. we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, why not? I actually just jumped straight. My first one, you know, and as I read the little bits and pieces of what was out there, there wasn't a lot out there at that time. It was like 2008, 2009, when I really okay. started like digging into it, but it was, you know, everyone is like, well, if you, if you do an ultra, make sure you always run a 50 K first. And I was like, really, that's like five miles longer than a marathon. Like what's the <laughs> challenge in that? And I, that made no sense to me. I was like, I need to do a 50 miler. So, so my first ultra was a 50 miler and, uh, and really I, I, that was 2010. I, I fell in love with it. And, uh, that first race is when I realized I was actually pretty good at it. So what was that rest, first race? What'd you do? Uh, American river 50. Uh, it's here in Northern California. It's uh, really close to the Western States trails. In fact, I think some of it actually does run on the Western States trails, but yeah, I, I loved it. And then like a few weeks later, I ran another 50 and then a few weeks later, I ran another 50 and um, I, I got on the podium in those two. And so I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. It's kind of fun getting on the podium. <laughs> so then, uh, so then I just continued. Well, I mean, to going back to your point, like, it, as you said, like, you don't, I don't think when anybody grows up, I don't think any kid looks at it as, Hey, I'm going to be a professional runner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not really a, a, a professional athlete, uh, category most people put themselves in. So it, it well, is kind of our generation. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. Our, our generation, especially, I mean, um, you know, my, my daughter's a, a cross country track and field runner now, and it, it is her dream to be a professional runner, which I thought oh. was so fascinating. Cause when I was her age in high school, I mean, the cross country kids, no offense. Like they're kind of like the dorky kids. Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. Like we don't run, like we run for, for, for conditioning, not just to run. Like it just made no sense to me. And so, um, you know, now look at, I'm doing all the running now and, and I think the sport has changed. I mean, the sport itself, just running road, running endurance, running, it has, um, I, I even think trail running is one of the fast, one of the fastest growing sports in the world now. Um, oh, whereas, yeah. you know, 20 years ago, no one knew anything about it. It was just this weird thing that people did, but I think social media has a big component in that because I don't think there's very many sports outside of like rock climbing and mountaineering that showcases the sport so beautifully that really makes your heart want to be in that spot. Like when I see someone climbing up the side of a mountain, like rock climbing, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to be there. Like, it's so <laughs> amazing. Like that is so freaking beautiful. And so, you know, you, if anybody watches a video that like Killian puts out, you know, you're just like, dude, I want to do that. Like that's, yeah. that's amazing. And social media has this way of drawing people into beauty and peace and connectedness. And I think people are curious about that. They want to know what that's about. And then of course, as you know, you know, the community itself is known for being friendly and, um, yeah. and really embracing a space for any person from every walk of life. And, and I think that's really cool. Well, yeah, I, I say that over and over again, like trail running community is probably one of the best sporting communities that you'll, you'll hands find, down. Right. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. I, and it is kind of weird. Like you, we, you talk about, you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have thought of ultra, you know, ultra races is, is a thing really. And mm -mm. I didn't even know they existed 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's just kind of interesting to see how, how that's changed, how trail running has completely changed with just more and more events popping up. Now, I, I don't know if that's kind of a product of there was so many road races that were popping up, right? Like you had this mm -hmm. and I, I have uh, conversations, arguments about other, my other race director friends, like how, you know, like what, about uh, 10 years ago, 
you had all of these fun runs pop up the bubble run the color run right yeah and the tomato the, run the tomato run and it just it literally kind of just oversaturated the the road running aspect of that that side of the sport mm-hmm. and i think that and that was pretty much the time that i looked at it and i, I was like well i i don't really want to do you know, i want to be a race director but i don't want to do any of those type of runs i don't want to mm-hmm. be a part of that because that's kind of a that that bubble is going to gonna pop right mm-hmm. um and so i got into the trail running aspect and i i don't know if that's kind of a product of more race directors looking at that and saying hey we, we don't have to spend all this money to make this big hoopla type of event but yet we can put on a great event that's more community driven more grassroots and you're out in nature mm-hmm. and so I, I i don't know if that's the product i don't know if that's the product of also like over the just this last two years right of mm. how many road races went away because you can't have ten thousand people right yeah right? i mean that's mm-hmm. I, i've seen i've seen an increase in our races from a numbers perspective just because people don't want to be in those those big corrals anymore they don't right. want to do that. They would rather be at those races that are 200, 300, 400 runners. And it's, mm-hmm. it's quite interesting. I think that's also helping uh, the trail community grow as, as we see it. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's awesome. And so I, you, you said, um, and socially, yes. So socially, I think uh, I see a lot more people posting stuff on, on their trail runs and everything else. I mean, a, the, the photos that you can take are a lot better than taking a city <laughs> city street photo. But I want to connect socially for a second because you on socially are known as the yellow runner. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a, a really cool story about that with, with the passing of your mother. Would, would you mind tapping into that just a little bit and how that, how that uh, name kind of came about? Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and I'll just share a very condensed um, version of it, but yeah. the, the name itself isn't really like my name. Um, (laughs) it's more of a, of a tribute to Mm -hmm. my mom and really just the hope and the message that she, um, gave me before she passed away and, and my desire to, you know, I've always desired just to make my running more than, uh, just something about myself. I think when you lose people and you lose a lot of people too, and especially at a young age, it really forces you to take a look at your life and in a hard and sometimes painful way. And even question like, why am I here and what am I doing here? And, and, uh, what's the purpose of even going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and I asked myself that question, you know, a lot, uh, throughout my, throughout my youth. And so when I, um, started running the, the yellow runner was a tribute to her and, and really wanting to, um, live a life that, that shines and, and encourages in a way that I can use my running to connect with other people around the world and not, you know, getting on the podium is awesome. I love it. I'm competitive. That's, that's obviously what my sponsors want me to do, (laughs) but I, the, the bigger picture, the, the greater goal that I've always had is to use my running as more of a, as a vessel and an excuse to, to chat with people. So, um, before she passed away, I was, it was my 17th birthday and, um, she had gotten me a whole bunch of little yellow presents and the yellow, you know, growing up, she called me sunshine as I sat at her feet. Um, and this was like four weeks before she died. She took out each little present and it was like a little yellow candle and a a yellow uh, clock and a picture frame. And, and she just spoke to me and said, you know, you, you can't be bitter, uh, when I'm gone, I don't want you to, to turn angry. And, and, um, and I want you to keep doing all the things that are that are in your, that you love, that are in your heart, that you're passionate about the goals that you have for yourself. And she was an incredible encouragement to me and, and the things that I was doing in my life. And, um, I had a lot of challenges and obstacles in, in my youth. And so my mom was just a voice of, of truth and encouragement and love. And ultimately just realizing that those yellow gifts and taking sunshine, wrapping those up into her message, that is where, um, the name yellow runner 
came from. I just, you know, that's, I just love hearing, you know, stories like that. It just puts a different perspective on, on why we do what we do in a Uh a sense, right? It just kind of gives different, different meaning for it. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's talk about the ultra experience for you. And I know there's, you've done a number of races and we, you know, we talk about the Badwater 135 here just for a quick minute. Um, so you won in 2021, but that wasn't your first attempt. I think your first attempt was 2018. Um, yeah, 2018. And so what was, what was your experience? Uh, what was your experience in 2018 that maybe helped transform or shift your mindset to the 2021 aspects? Because if I read my notes right, you ended up placing seventh or eighth in 2018? Yeah, I was seventh in 2018. It was um, not a great performance (laughs) for a lot of reasons. But, um, you know, the difference between the two is just my, um, you know, the way that I approached the race mentally. I wouldn't say that I was fitter in 2021 or, you know, or that I, it was, it was easier in 2021 or anything like that. Um, because in both races, I had some physical, some pretty intense physical challenges that I had to work through. And so, you know, in 2018, I think it was, and I had, had later done a, 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 kind of a reflection post about a week after I crossed the finish line. And, mm-hmm. um, I basically said, you know, this was, this wasn't the dream that I had. This wasn't the race that I had dreamed it to be, but it was everything that I needed. And really it was me just accepting the fact that I was, uh, you know, greatly humbled in, um, in my approach to the race that year. So, you know, when I stood on the, on the start line in 2018, I just thought it, it every, part of, of who I was. I just really believed that there was no one that had trained as hard as I did. And I believed that I was, you know, totally ready. Um, and I was very, you know, I was tough and gritty. I've kind of always grown up with that, uh, that, that tough, hard mindset and just growing up in the, the home that I, that I had grown up in. Um, I believed, you know, there wasn't really anything that could stop me from getting to the finish line first, you know, by mile 30, I had a pretty bad attitude and I was really upset. I was angry because, you know, things were not going my way and I was, uh, had a lot of challenges. So, um, yeah. So in 2021, I just, I, I changed that. <laughs> Looked at it a little bit differently. Yeah, um, and and, it, and it's let's take a step back here for just a second for anybody who's been living underneath a rock in the trail community <laughs> and doesn't know what Badwater One Thirty Five is. It is a race that starts down in Death Valley and pretty much ends up close to the top of Mount Whitney, if I'm not mistaken. Right? That's yeah. It used to go up to all the way. It used to go all the way up to the top of Mount Whitney. Now it's just to the just before that. So it's you go from 135 temperature degree temperature in Death Valley all the way up to a completely different temperature as you're going through roads. So you know as you're running through the, the the Death Valley aspect of it, like what is what's the mindset of yourself or or as of of other runners, I guess. Like how do you get through getting pummeled by 135 degree heat and having to manage the nutrition and the hydration aspect of it. Yeah. You know, a lot of that is going to, is going to come in your training and it isn't so much just heat training as much as it is management of being uncomfortable the entire time. And it's kind of hard to wrap. It is very difficult for me to even explain or describe that kind of heat. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people listening, you, you probably remember a time where you, you know, you spent a, a long time in, in heat or even humidity, you know, humidity is pretty gnarly, um, when it's combined with heat. And, you know, I think every time I went out to train, um, anytime it was like in the one twenties out in the desert, I just, it was like a whole new 
reminder of, oh my gosh, I forgot. Like this is, I, I, you just don't feel that kind of heat every day. It's very hard to find that heat. It's, it's hard to define it. Even in a picture, just because I, I, I can't explain what heat is like in a picture or in a video. <laughs> um, it's like this invisible powerful, uh, force. And, um, so I think for me, it was just a lot of, uh, a training where I put myself in, in uncomfortable situations. I did get out on the race course quite a bit. And then, you know, I was doing some, some sauna sessions and, and things like that, but anybody that's accepted into that race, uh, you know, you're going to get quite a few emails from the race director that basically says like, you have to take this race seriously. Yeah. So everyone on the start line, is insanely fit and very wealthy trained. <laughs> like, you know, it, there's nobody on the start line. It was like, oh, like my training was so-so or it's, there's nobody that's like, oh, wow, it's hot. Like everybody <laughs> is, is so fit and so ready and so prepared. And they've spent months and months and months training for the race. Um, which makes it even more awesome because you just have respect for every single person that goes out there knowing like everyone has put their heart and soul into this training and covering every part of what they need to do in order to move through the desert well. Um, but it is very different from any race I've ever done in my life. And it deserves quite a bit of respect when when you're dealing yeah. with heat. That's, that's no joke. <laughs> yeah. And this isn't one of those uh, ultra races where you can just on a whim sign up for it either. So don't get yeah. any, don't get any crazy ideas out there, runners that you're just going to sign up for the bad water 135 and expect to get out there. Um, <laughs> the process is pretty lengthy and you have to actually qualify through different, different races, I think, right. It's, it's yeah. like you have to do like two qualification races or something like that for, I think it's three, or yeah, three. maybe yeah, two, two or two or three. Yeah. There's a list. The list is very extensive though. So it's yeah. not like, you know, you have to do one of these five races, but yeah, there's an extensive list. The, the main reason why they do that is because they just need to filter out, you know, we live in the day and age where people do stuff just for social media. <laughs> right. It's like, uh, yes, I, and so you have to understand that when you have people that are come to a race that aren't prepared and don't have the right intentions, you're also a, making a massive liability to everyone out there. And, you know, the amount of, uh, medical, uh, the security, everything that they, that they need to do in order to even to make that race happens. It's, it's very, very extensive. And so, you know, I think, um, they, the application process is, just making sure that you are well-trained, that you do, you understand this is, this is not your typical race and that you are going to commit to the training and, um, show up ready for likely for most people that the hardest race of their life. Now mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to ask this and, and I can edit this out later on if you don't want to explain oh it. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. So, so we're talking about nutrition, but you in 2021, I mean, you ended up winning the race, even with a little bit of a nutrition issue or a, a health issue, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> diarrhea, as we'll call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just straight up diarrhea. Like so how the does, whole time. So <laughs> I, I, I'm quite curious on how this works as far as like being very you know, underhydrated or, mm -hmm. uh, dealing with, deal, deal with the heat <laughs> and everything else. Like what's like, how are you working through that and trying to like replenish everything that you're losing, you know, immediately after you, you intake it, like how, mm -hmm. how is that? And how does that affect you mentally? Well, that was one of the first things that we, that my crew and I had discussed. So mile 14 is when I, I started having diarrhea. Oh, wait, what? Mile 14? Yeah, mile 14 oh, is when God. it started. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so the 135 miles, the first 14 is where I was feeling oh. okay. All right. So, so from there, and then I think it was probably mile 100, 105. I st then I started vomiting too. So I had like, I knew just from all my years, ultra running and just even as a coach and training other people, like, 
you know, one of the number one reasons why people do not meet their goals in an ultra race or don't even finish is because of nutrition. They get that part. It doesn't matter how fit you are. If you're not getting food down or you're, you know, vomiting every few minutes, you're just going to have a lot harder time accomplishing your goals or even getting to the finish line. And so I knew all the things that I needed to do in order to keep moving forward. And I had to tell my crew right then and there, I was like, listen, you guys, this is, this is going to be our challenge. This is it. (laughs) But guess what? We're, we're doing it. And I just, I looked at all of them and I was like, my legs feel awesome. And I just, I, I started to play all these like mental games with them and myself to make sure that 2018 wasn't going to repeat itself. And I just told myself like, you know what? This is my challenge. Everyone has their challenges. It's not going to be bigger than my goals. I'm not going to let it be bigger than it is. And so I'm going to maintain it. So as soon as I would go, I'd stop and I'd shove down a whole bunch of more food, Mm -hmm. more electrolytes, and I'd get back on the road. And I just had to keep doing that. I had to, I had to consume like extra, but One of the things that people don't know is that I actually was sick the few days before I did the race. So I don't know what was going on, but I had like a horrific migraine on Friday night. Like, and I don't ever get headaches. I don't get migraines. Like it's very, very rare. Um, I'm usually pretty healthy year in and year out. I take pretty good care of my body. So getting sick for me is, is, is a big deal. Um, so I remember Friday night thinking, and I was talking to my husband about it. I was like, you know, it could just be stress. Like, you know, sometimes before I run a big race, like, you know, your body just does funny things. You get tightness in your calves or like, you feel like your intestines are emptying themselves (laughs) out. Like it's almost like your body knows like something's going to happen. And so I just kept telling myself that. And then the day and a half before race start, because the race starts on a Monday night at 11 p.m., I I laid in bed for most of the 24 hours before the race. And I just kept going to the bathroom and I was like eating tons. I'd eat a whole bunch. And then I was going to the bathroom and I, my, my husband was hanging out with my, my crew and he'd come back in and out of the room and kind of check on me. And I was like, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know if I'm just like nervous or what. So I didn't make it a big deal. I didn't want to think about it. I even had told myself, you know, even if I am sick, who cares? Like, I feel great. I'm here. We're doing this. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make an excuse. And it's not like uh, this has anything to do with my organs and I'm falling apart. I don't need to go to the hospital. I didn't have a fever, but I wasn't a hundred percent at the start line. And I just kind of felt like, "Ah, I bet it'll wear off once the race starts. So when I started feeling sick 14 miles in, I actually, was not surprised by it. Um, and I was like, oh crap, this is something, there is something going on. And it did continue for a couple of days after the race too. So I don't know, not sure what it is. Maybe I had the flu or maybe yeah. I had food poisoning or COVID or, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. much, uh, so you're shoving X amount of calories down with it. Like how much of, how much hydration are you having to put back in your body? Like what, what's hey, when you're stopping, like, cause you're losing a lot of that too. Like that has to be taking mm-hmm. its toll on you as well. Like what, what were you, what were you taking down as far as the hydration goes? Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. So typically, so what I did in my training is I, I wrote down what I was getting in every hour. So I was getting in about a half a liter of water. I was doing, um, noon and I had like these little salt, uh, salt tabs I would do like every other hour. And then I was doing, um, spring energy, which has a good amount of sodium and potassium in it. Um, and then I was also doing a super starch, this unflavored, uh, super starch, which I, it's called the Targo. I don't even think it's around anymore. I found it on Amazon and something I used to use many, many, many years ago, but yeah, that, that was pretty much the, the gist of what I was using. It's what I'd used in my training for months and months. So it was nothing new, but I just knew I had to always be on more of like an IV drip of of eating and drinking the whole time. So that never stopped. Even if I didn't feel good, I was still getting stuff in. So tell me, tell me your mindset as you cross that finish line, having to deal with the diarrhea and vomiting and everything else, like how satisfying was finishing that race, finishing the race a, but finishing in first place, having to go through all of that stuff. It was good. You know, I'll be honest as, as, as it was amazing finishing in first place. That was a, 
a decade dream of mine. It was something that I had planted in my heart many years ago that I really didn't share with anybody. Um, partly because I didn't, I didn't even know if I'd ever be able to run bad water. Um, but I, that was something that was just a dream realized. There's no way to even describe what that felt like. There was a a part of me though, when we're working on like in the nineties, 100 mile range, when I was pretty frustrated at my pace Um, I had a lot of goals for myself for that race outside of winning. And so I think the last half marathon of that race, it's 5,000 feet of climbing. And I had spent um, hundreds and hundreds of miles training on that mountain, on that climb up and down, up and down, up and down. So, you know, moving up that mountain so slowly, I was, I was sad. I was upset at my time. I didn't like uh, how slowly we had to move, but at the same time, you know, being able to overcome in a way that was so different from 2018, I just was, was very relieved and and very happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's, and it's gotta be, you know, in that scenario, uh, it's gotta be a little bit more satisfying uh, of a victory versus maybe some of your other victories. Am I wrong in saying that? The fact that you over, you were able to overcome <clears throat> what you did. Yeah. I mean, every race, I, I feel like, especially this is the beauty of ultra running. You know, every race is so unique. I feel like in road running, that is, you know, what I always notice, like you're just training, you know, you're training to go run on the road. There isn't a lot of unpredictable things that happen outside of like, you know, you run Boston and there's that hill, (laughs) that little (laughs) hill that everyone talks about. But outside of that, it's like, I, I always felt like regardless of where the race was in the world, if I was running a road marathon, it was pretty easy to predict and structure my training and predict my pace and all of that. But with ultra running, I just feel like every race is a unique adventure and no two terrains are the same. Even if you go back to the same race, you could have a different weather. Uh, You know, the course could change slightly or something like that. And I've always appreciated that about the races. And so for this one in particular, yeah, this is is probably the highlight of, of my career because it was such a long awaited goal of mine. And because it was honestly, it is one of the, if not the toughest race I've ever done in my life. And so being able to overcome with adversity, um, I'm just, I'm just really grateful for that. I'm grateful to, you know, to see some of the, the work, um, the work pay off, I guess <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> so, always happen. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe this is gonna, maybe that answers my, my next question to you is if, if with all the races you've done, all the ultra runs you've done, you know, uh, Badwater and, and everywhere else and around the world you've run, like what's one of your greatest experiences or best experiences you've taken away from, from a race or the community or, uh, you know, the, the people itself, like, is there one experience really that stands out in your mind? Like, you know what, that was one of the coolest things that I can experience. You know, it's, it's hard because bad water is still so fresh in my mind. And I think my favorite thing about it was really my crew. Um, and I think most, you know, for those of you that are listening that are ultra runners who have done like the longer races, you know, like a hundred K hundred mile where, where you're out there for a really long time, you have this newfound appreciation for people that stick with you when they're, when it's very clear that there's no benefit for them. And I think that that is something that Unfortunately, I I feel like society uh, loses sight of, Mm -hmm. (laughs) especially this day and age, is the idea of looking to others, the idea of elevating others, um, of putting others before ourselves. Um, You know, there's there's so much beauty beauty and reward in that when we help other people reach a goal. And you know, I've got a pretty incredible crew that has been with me essentially for a decade, and they've made every experience that I've had uh, the highest highlights of my career. You know, I think back to my first Western States, which um, Billy Yang documented in Western time in in his film, that the big piece of that entire film is the crew, is the people that come around you and believe in you and say, you know, you can do this and you can meet that goal. And when we're able to transfer that into our real everyday life, uh, it's pretty beautiful. So I, I have a hard time, uh, you know, pointing just one out because I can tell you just an incredible story about all the races I've done where my crew's just <laughs> been amazing. So, you know, the crew and the people are what make the sport great. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I love the fact that you said that. And, and it's, it's quite interesting. I was talking to Mike McKnight uh, on the podcast uh, a couple of months ago, and I asked him the same question and he said the same exact thing. And, I love that. It, and it just goes to show you like, really, that's, it, it all comes back to community. It really does. It like, all comes back to those people that are willing to help you out and help you achieve a goal that you've been striving for. And it's, and that's that's why I love to ask that question because it's I've never had the same the same answer as far as like oh yeah this race here and placing first or third or completing like it's always comes down to the most unique scenarios whether it's the landscape like I remember going up this mountain and it was just opened up to this valley and the sunset and da 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 like it always comes down to the experiences outside of the actual foot race itself. So, I mean, it's, it's really cool to hear you say that the, the crew is is one of the best experiences. So on the same token, throughout your career, you know, going from, even from going being, being an athlete the entire, your entire life, what are some of the things that you've learned about yourself over your, over your career? Like what's some of the best things that you've taken away or looked at and said, you know what? I'm glad I, I did it this way. I'm glad I, I you know, what did you learn? I think that the one of the biggest things in my life and which has really helped me move forward in the sport is being okay with accepting my failures and, and my mistakes and knowing that I can always grow. And that, um, I'd say probably like three or four years ago, then became really the main goal for each year. I would, I start each year and I just say, look, I'm, I'm going to change my training and I'm going to do everything better. And it keeps the sport exciting, but it also Mm -hmm. keeps me optimistic and hopeful knowing that I can do that truly with every area of my life. I think it's very easy to feel stagnant or just feel like, oh, I've done everything there is, or, you know, there's not more much that I can do, or this isn't working out. Or like, Mm -hmm. I always feel like there's always something to work on. There's always an area where we can improve. Even if it's your greatest strength, you can always make it stronger. And, you know, that's, that's essentially one of my favorite things. Cause I've, I've taken that over into every area of my life, you know? Um, so just that desire and, and passion to always want to grow and, and learn. I, I hope to, to never stop doing that. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of in the same mentality as you. Like my my mantra is is always live victorious every day. Oh, whether I love that, that. Whether that means you're having a shitty day and you need to look for something that's <laughs> actually going right in your day, or if you're really doing really well with something, like how can you continue to better yourself in that? Right? Like, and, uh-huh. and that that can carry over to you know, a race, your life, your, your relationship, whatever it is. I mean, that's, so it's really cool to, to hear you say that as well. I mean, I, I, that's the way I always look at things is there's always something you can improve on. I love that. I love that. Live victorious every day. Very Thank cool. You. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about strength training and so there's a new strength training app that you've got out now. And I want to hear a little bit more about that because that's been out for a few months. What is the app all about and how can people get involved with that? And what, what should people expect with your, with your app? Yeah. You know, the app really the, at the, the root of why I started it is because over the years, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a certified trainer and, and run coach. I've, I've run my own fitness business since 2007. And it's something that I'm passionate about. I love the opportunity to be able to pour into people and their goals and encourage them not only in mind um, and body, but just to be able to, to talk to people where they are in, in their life. And I feel like that fitness is such a great way to do that. Um, anyone that's listening, that's a trainer knows, especially when you have a one on one, you're more of a counselor than you are uh, anything uh, yes. else. Yeah. And, um, and I've really loved that over the years. I, I'm very passionate about being able to meet people where they are and help them with their goals. So um, because of, you know, just the wonderful world of, of social media, the business, my coaching business, um, grew and, um, I'm in contact with lots of people all the time. And so many people have asked for years, you know, can you coach me or what do you do for strength training? Or can you give me advice on this? I'm doing my first race. Can you tell me this? And, and, um, 
you know, at any given time, I just, I have hundreds of messages that I'm just not able to get to. And because of my personality, I always feel bad. I feel so bad that I can't help all these people. So creating the app was my way of being able to reach more people and offer them what they're looking for. So what you'll find in the app, um, there's running programs, there's strength training programs. I have four and six week uh, follow along challenges. There's um, video tutorials for every single day that you train with me. But also when people sign up for the monthly or the yearly, they get access to over 200 other trainers. So if you like to do yoga or hit or gym workouts or CrossFit, um, you can go in and use all of their workouts as well. And then there's like a nutrition component, meditation, recovery, um, sleep. It's a really, really, really cool app. And um, I think it comes out to like $8 and 33 cents a month if you get the annual or $14.99 a month. But we have a really cool community that's that's building um, too that you can be a part of. And again, like my goal was just to uh, help people learn how to be stronger, both in mind and body. And um, you know, on a very physical level, how to be injury free and how they can incorporate strength and just to their everyday lives, whether they're training for a race or not. That's cool. So, I, I like the fact that, that you've got access to <clears throat> other different types of training too. I think that's kind of a huge thing. I don't think you can really do a, uh, an app, a fitness app anymore without having the access to that. So that's really cool that um, you're, you've got access to that as well. So let's talk about, uh, and for anybody listening in, I, I'll, what I'll do is I'll put a link to where you can download that app uh, in the show notes as well. And I'll also put a link to uh, where you can listen in on Sally's uh, podcast, Choose Strong podcast. So she, just a couple a couple episodes out. She's getting ready to release a, a couple more here over the next few weeks. Um, go ahead and tell me what that podcast is all about and, and how and why did you start that up? Yeah. So the Choose Strong podcast was really um, built on the idea of having a strong mindset, Um, and then a strong body, but also creating a strong community. It ties in a little bit with my, with, with my app and really covering topics that everyone can relate to. It isn't just about ultra running. You know, I, I podcast quite a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I, you know, which I, I really do love doing. Um, but this has just given me an opportunity to kind of cover the topics that at any given time I can. Oh goodness. I get lots of questions. So I love that I can use a podcast to answer questions. So if I see like, (laughs) Hey, this is a top 10 question that I'm getting lately. I'm going to make a podcast out of it. It's just connect with people. Got one more question. (laughs) for you. Okay. Um, what, and maybe you can't tell me this, or maybe you do have something coming up, but any new projects or races on the horizon that you can talk about? (laughs) Yeah, I do have a couple big things planned for this year that I haven't released yet. Part of it is just because I need to make sure all the logistics are aligned, but, um, I do have a 200 plus mile adventure attempt that I'm going to do, um, this year leading up to it. I will be, um, running, in in the mountains quite a bit. Um, I have a couple mini projects that are leading up as part of my training, but um, my husband and I are going to be documenting and putting out a fun little uh, series on our YouTube channel um, just to kind of showcase that. So, and then as far as races go, I'm actually still sifting through races. There's a handful of them that I would like to do. Uh, Most of them are overseas, but I probably won't do those until summer or fall. So um, I know that was a general response, but (laughs) I am training hard. (laughs) So being uh, the entrepreneur that you are and, and uh, like how, how many races do you get a chance to do yearly? Mm-hmm. I mean, you said that your next race really isn't until like spring or summer at some point in time. Like how many do you end up or do you, how many do you try and get to uh, every year? You know, it, it really does depend on the year. The year of COVID, I was signed up for six races and they were all international, yeah. um, which is probably too many. Um, and that has kind of been like a historical part of my career <laughs> is like, I love traveling so much and it's so hard to say no when you are invited to a race that's in Iceland or Italy or Switzerland. And, um, and so I've done a lot of racing probably at 75% because I'm 
always <laughs> traveling and, and adding too many races. So, um, in, in 2020, I had, I had had quite a few races lined up. So then when 2021 opened back up, um, you know, it was really just bad water was, was the main one. I didn't really feel like traveling. So yeah. this year there's, you know, you just never know what's going on in the world. And that's partly why I haven't nailed anything down yet. It's like, as soon as you hear that something's open, it's like, Oh, there's something else going on. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm still, I'm still trying to uh, figure out what I'm going to be doing. If I'm going to stay in the United States or, or if I'm going to um, do the international races that I, I've been hoping to do for the past couple of years. Yeah. So. Do you, um, <clears throat> do you see a lot of difference between international versus U uh, S races? Oh, 100%. Um, you know, the, the international scene, I, I, I almost feel like it's, uh, the sports taken a little bit more seriously. So when, especially yeah. in Europe, I mean, it's people are, the fans are very serious and fanatical over the sport. The athletes are very serious. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's very well supported and, uh, you know, you get media and events and dinners and, uh, you know, the speaking panels and, uh, just the way that they cover it. Um, it's really fun. And also for me, like I, I love to travel. I love, you know, different languages and foreign food and seeing the world on my two feet. I mean, that's a a bit of a passion of mine since I was a little girl. And so, yeah, I love any opportunity. Yeah, I can to race internationally. And, you know, the difference with in the United States, the the races here are much more casual. You know, people walk up with, you know, nothing but shorts and you're not even wearing a T-shirt and a handheld bottle. (laughs) And, you know, no required gear. And like, you know, it's like it's just a completely different experience. And (laughs) and there's nothing wrong with that. I I race the United States all the time, too. So um, it's. It's just you do match races. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely a different mentality. But that—that's a lot of the endurance sports in Europe are are more heavily uh, competitive, I think, or they're looked at differently from a, a spectator perspective. Cycling is another great example of that, right? Uh, so, mm-hmm. it's, so that's that's just what you're going to get. I mean, the endurance category over there is you know far far and away uh, more spectator and yeah, friendly and driven to to that side of things. But anyway, Sally, I I re, I've kept you long enough. I appreciate you jumping on the the podcast and sharing your story and and some of your experiences. I really appreciate. It. I know our runners will will love this conversation. So thank you very much again. For sure. That'll do it for another episode of the Trail Life Podcast. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening in. Special shout out to Sally McRae for for joining me today and sharing her journey, her story, uh, dropping some knowledge on trail running and strength training. Um, That's always much appreciated there. For anybody who wants to know a little bit more about her strength app, follow along with her. I've got everything in the show notes for you to check out. Yeah, as I said... It was amazing. I, I've been wanting to talk to her for the longest time, and she did not disappoint by any means. So I cannot say enough about her and, and her mentality and her work ethic on on uh, in the trail running community. So thank you very much. Thanks for everybody for listening in, and I'll see you on the trails real soon. Music for the Trail Life podcast was provided by the Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. Mm-hmm.